Pastor, forgive me. If you're following along at home, we've just started Marxism. And the second point regarding the reality of naturalism, I forgot to start the uh, recording a half hour ago. That's on me. All right, so there's just a natural world. There's just a natural world, right? There's no supernatural realm. And then when it comes to ethics, remember we talked about moral absolutes, the moral goalposts that God established, or if you're Muslim, the moral goalposts that Allah established. Well, there's no God, there's no divinity, so now humans have to decide. Technically, in Marxism, you've got the bourgeois and the proletariat. Raise your hand if you heard those terms before, all right? Now, who uses them in conversation? No one, right? <laughs> well, you're bourgeois, you're proletarian. So nobody talks like that, but bottom line, here's the bourgeois, rich, here's the proletariat, poor, us working class slobs, right? Proletariat law is the morality. We're righteous. Those rich people, those bourgeois, they're evil. And if we get rid of them, it'll be peace on earth, goodwill towards men. We're good. The moral relativism is really on our side because we're the oppressed workers, right? So what's the future of humanity? Ultimately, what's going to happen is the next step in economic evolution. What's fascinating is the faith of Marxists. There doesn't have to be any evidence to back up the belief. The belief is by faith alone. This economic principle will work. Eventually what's going to happen, we're going to move out of capitalism into socialism, and out of socialism, we'll move into communism, and we're going to have a classless society of haves only, and not haves and have-nots. Has any country ever established that through socialism? No. But don't worry about that. It will happen. It's faith in action. But now it's not in God and his word, and in the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ, now it's in this concept that the next step in evolution is an economic one, and it's the stage of moving from capitalism to socialism to socialism to communism, right? Take a look on the screen. It's on your outline as well. In this global communist world that eventually will happen, it's inevitable. We move in phases. So there was feudalism with lords and serfs. And then eventually you got to free market capitalism where you're exchanging goods and services willingly. What will happen next? We will have government controlling everything through socialism, deciding prices, deciding what is sold and for how much, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, uh, running the, the production of things. These wise rulers will make economic decisions that bless and benefit everybody, and then eventually, because humanity is good, socialism, these socialist governments will disappear, and then you will have communism, where everyone has, there is no need of government anymore, no one does any crimes because no one has the need to commit crimes, everyone has, according to their need. No nation on earth that has practiced socialist policies has truly moved to communism where the government disappears and everybody just lives in peace and harmony. 
Why? Because humanity has fallen. But when you talk to people, it's going to happen. But we just need the right people in charge. And it's all by faith. There's no evidence to back this up. What's bad is those with. So instead of the bourgeois, all right, let's just talk easy, haves, all right? Who's oppressed? The proletariat, the working class, us, all right? The have-nots. This war will continue until socialism, where the government runs everything. The goal is, eventually, because people are good, now the government has distributed wealth or redistributed wealth. Now everyone has. Now the government just fades away. And everyone lives in a communal state. When you read Marx, he says, you know what we would do? You know what our day would look like? We'd work for a few hours, and then the rest of the day is, is in pursuit of just uh, things that you, you find enjoyable or compelling. Art, music, etc. And then you look at nations that have gone down this path. That's fantasy land. Nobody's done that. It's absolutely stunning. Finally, this classless society, communism, is going to appear. It's, it's, it's going to happen. It's the next step in evolution. Just like we evolved from lifeless matter, and now here we are, three billion years later, it's going to happen. And so when people look at the biology, they go, but that's not what we see. I, but that's how it happened. Now what about the economics? We look at these nations practicing socialism. It doesn't work that way. But it's going to happen. It's faith. It's absolute faith. It's stunning to listen to candidates espouse this. And even more troubling, listening to kids who go, yeah, if it's free, it's for me. You give me free and then fill in the blank. You give me free college? You give me free health care? You give me free living wage? I'm in. If it's free, it's for me. Margaret Thatcher, Prime Minister of England, she said it best. The only problem with socialist uh, countries is they run out of other people's money. That captures it in a nutshell. The only problem is with <laughs> the socialist uh, countries running out of other people's money. There is no such thing as a free lunch. Someone has to pay for that. Now the harsh reality is what people don't want to hear. But if you tell a lie loud enough, long enough, often enough, people will believe it. And we have to be able to talk to people and say, look, I love you, I don't want to tell you the truth. You can't get life from lifeless matter. You're free to believe that, but there's no evidence to back that up. Now, you're free to believe that socialism is the way to go, but let me just show you some things, right? So again, this is stuff I can send you the slides if you want, or I can send you power, uh, Word documents, whatever. Has anyone seen this, the, the satellite footage? This is the satellite footage of North Korea at night. It is literally in the dark. North Korean Peninsula, or North Korea, in the dark on the Korean Peninsula. You can see South Korea, you can see Japan, you can see mainland China there. So when people go, this is what we ought to do. Really? Yeah. This is what, oh, okay. They have power in the uh, capital city in the government building, and that's it. 2018, Venezuelan inf uh, uh, inflation hits a million percent. Did you see the lines of people miles long trying to get out of Venezuela? 
don't know if you saw it in those photos. The humanitarian crisis. Or if you look, when in the 40s, 50s, Venezuela looked just like any capitalist country, and now 90% of the people are in poverty. And when people go, ah, you just need the right people in charge. Really? You, you had wealth, and you're sitting on all this oil. What's going on? Well, but if we were in charge, it would be different. I had an AFS student, an American uh, Field Society uh, foreign exchange student from Venezuela. We were looking at worldviews. We were discussing this. Student raised his hand. Now, he's, he's there when Hugo Chavez is in charge. He goes, I, I, I don't know if you seniors at Milwaukee Lutheran understand, but under our socialist country, where the government wants something, it just comes into your house and takes it because the government owns everything. I don't know if you understand this. So when you hear people talking about this, who've lived through this, they go, America, don't, don't go down this path. Look at the track record. Our Plymouth colony started with socialist concepts. I don't know if anybody knows this. It's absolutely stunning. Writing in his diary of the dire economic straits and self-destructive behavior that consumed his fellow Puritans shortly after their arrival, Governor William Bradford painted a picture of destitute settlers selling their clothes and bed coverings for food, while others became servants to the Indians, cutting wood and fetching water in exchange for a keck full of corn. The most desperate among them starved, with Bradford recounting how one settler, in gathering shellfish along the shore, was so weak he stuck fast in the mud and was found dead in the place. The colony's leaders identified the, the source of their problem as a particularly vile form of what Bradford called communism. Property in Plymouth Colony, he observed, was communally owned and cultivated. This system, taking away of property and bringing it into a commonwealth, bred confusion and discontent and retarded much employment that would have been to the settlers' benefit and comfort. What? There was common ground. Who was going to work it? I don't know. Is anyone familiar with the story of Little Red Hen? If you know the story of Little Red Hen, that's what it is. Who's going to help me plant? Not I. Who's going to help me weed? Not I. Who's going to help me water, harvest? Not I. Who's going to help me knead, grind, make bread? Not I. Now here's the bread. Who wants them? Oh, me. So what did they do? They got rid of that concept that said, you've got a plot of land. You've got to take care of it. Go. You want to know more? Check it out. We, we, we've tried that. Don't, don't go to that. Why? Jeremiah 29, 7. Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I've called you. If it prospers, you too will prosper. Left-hand kingdom stuff. <laughs> I think this would be best for everybody involved if we did this as opposed to that. Does the Bible talk about helping poor people? Absolutely. Deuteronomy 15. God speaks and says in this word, there will always be poor people in the land. Therefore, I command you to be open-handed towards your fellow Israelites who are poor and needy. Think about that. They'll always be poor. So you help them. What does Jesus say? The poor you'll always have with you. And you can help them anytime you want. But you'll not always have me. What's the context of this? Mary puts that expensive ointment on his feet. 
That should have been sold and the money given to the poor. Jesus goes, you'll always have poor. You can help many times. God tells the Israelites, Jesus tells the apostles, you will always have poor people. Now, if you read scripture, why is there poverty? One, rich oppressors. Marxists go, yeah, told you. And then it also says laziness. Then it also talks about time and chance happening to everybody. Truth hurts. It's not just always rich people taking advantage of people. Sometimes it's on you. What did you do? If a man will not work, he shall not eat. One of my favorite proverbs, like a door on its hinge, is a lazy person in bed. What? Like a door on its hinge is a lazy person in bed. Where does the door go? Back and forth. Where does the lazy person go? Back and forth. They don't go anywhere. Talks about time and chance happening to everybody. The race is not always to the swift, Ecclesiastes said. Time and chance happen to everybody. I came up with this great idea and somebody beat me to it. And now they're, they're rolling in dough. Yeah, time and chance happens to everybody. So when you hear the truth of God's word going, look, I'm, I'm going to tell you this is what's going on. You can help. So we collect offerings and we give. But here's some things to understand. Our American culture says, we're going to look at your income and we're going to put you in one of five income levels. In the United States, poverty is $24,000 for a family of four. So this is where percentage-wise it shakes out, 2016. I love this. What raises people out of poverty? Work. University of Michigan, longitudinal study, okay? Long-term study, 15-year study, 92 to 2007. After 15 years, looked at people in 92 and then in 2007. Where were you 15 years later? Only 5% were still in poverty. The rest were in upper income, upper middle, middle, middle income. When it comes to paying taxes, we need, this is just the reality of it. Yes, rich people pay the most taxes. Those of us who have less don't pay as much. But here's the other thing that's going to help big time. Marriage. When you look at these demographics, when it comes to poverty, when you're single as opposed to married, it's clear. When you have two people working, they have a better chance. Has anyone heard of the success sequence from the Brookings Institute? Praise the Lord. I teach this in my Foundations of Education class because education is a key component to the success sequence. Brookings Institute points out, would you like to have success? These four things should be done in order. First, get your high school diploma. Next, get a full-time job. Next, get married. Next. Then have children. Don't do it out of order. Finish up school. Work full time. As you get married, then have kids. J.D. Vance's Hillbilly Elegy. Anybody read it? J.D. Vance's Hillbilly Elegy. He says, I was raised in rural West Virginia among poor whites. 
You know what I was raised with? You know what my worldview was? You work 20 hours a week, that's full time. Boss fires you for not showing up on time, that's discrimination. You want to speak the truth in love? A man will not work, he shall not eat. It goes back to a biblical understanding of work and marriage. And as we walk away from a biblical worldview, we reap what we sow. Of course there'll be more people in poverty. So the Lord goes, you can help them. The poor you'll always have with you. You can help them. What you do? You espouse work and you espouse marriage. You push the benefits. Because here's what the U.S. Uh, uh, Bureau of Labor stats show. 97% of millennials, almost all millennials, doesn't matter what the color of your skin is, they're not in poverty when they did all four steps. That's good news. That's good news. You'll always have poor with you. You can help them anytime you want. Well, what should I talk about? Well, first off, kingdom of right, talk about Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Now, kingdom of the left, marriage and work. Marriage and work. Two ways to raise people out of poverty. Let's take a look at secular humanism. Let's take a look at secular humanism. The assumption here again, atheistic, no God. Again, how do you know is the question you'd ask. Well, I know there's no God, right? Again, reality, just nature, just matter, just stuff. There's no supernatural realm. Moral relativism again. There's no God to decide what's right and wrong, so we decide ourselves. But here's what's absolutely fascinating. When you take a look at humanists, Secular Humanists. And you can read the Humanist Manifesto from 1933. You can read the Second Humanist Manifesto, 1973. You can read the 2000 version, Humanist Manifesto 3. They all talk about transnational government. What? Trans is a cross, right? So you take a transcontinental railroad, goes across the United States. You take a transatlantic flight, goes across the Atlantic. Trans across. Transnational government. Government across nations. Whenever you bring up the concept of a global government, there are some people who go, okay, <laughs> this is tinfoil hat territory. Now we're in conspiracy theory. No, please remember the definition of a conspiracy. A conspiracy, by definition, is something that's done secretly to carry about something evil or illegal. This is not conspiracy theory. This is out there. That's one I wrote in the book starting at the end. Here's some of the stuff. So I just gave you some samples here. I want to give you some of the latest stuff out there from globalists who say, you know what would be better? Instead of having 194 nations that all pull in their own separate directions, why don't we all pull in one global direction? Pull our resources, our, our wisdom, our energy, and solve humanity's problems. So when you listen to that, you go, gosh, it makes sense. Boy, that makes sense. And this is out there in the open. It's not secretive. It's not a conspiracy. And they're not doing anything illegal. They're trying to say, this is our vision for humanity. We can bring peace on earth, goodwill towards men. But we don't need the right religion. And we don't need an evolutional growth into spirituality. We don't need, well, we do need socialism. That's what we're going to see here in a minute. But we just need a global government to make that a reality. If you go back in time, World Peace Foundation's pamphlet talks about some basic things that can help bring about peace on earth, goodwill towards men. Now think about this. Over 100 years ago, what if, what's the idea? What if we had an international parliament or governing body? We do. It's called the United Nations. 
What if we had world laws in a judicial system? We do, it's called the International Criminal Court. What if we had a global military force? We do, it's called UN peacekeeping forces. So please understand, over 100 years ago, there's people who had a vision for humanity and they're working on that daily. That's why if you start at the end, you can understand today why people are doing what they're doing. And so none of this is by accident. What's fascinating is the idea of changing economics to bring everybody under a global system. Uh, he's now Russian Prime Minister uh, Medvedev. Back in 2009, he held up a coin. And I don't know if you can see it very well. He held it up at the G8 summit. He held up a coin. And on one side, it says, United Future World Currency. And on the other side, it says, Unity in Diversity and a number one. So what's stunning, it's the G8 summit. It's the gathering of the eight biggest economic powerhouse nations on the planet. And he says, instead of using the dollar for conducting business, for example, you know, measuring things with gold or oil and with dollars, what if we used, bam, this? And here's this Russian president going, what if we used a well, world currency? Okay. Previous pope, Pope Benedict, talked about a global authority to manage the world. There have been people through the years that talk this way. And so what's fascinating is to talk about this issue and go, so what you're saying is we wouldn't have our United States government, we'd be under the umbrella of some transnational global entity? Yes. And so the question should be asked, do I get to vote for my world rep? Do I, do I have a say? And there's people who, who've got ideas out there. World Federalist Movement is the biggest pro-global government group on the planet. It's the oldest, lobbies for this kind of stuff. You can go to their website, World Federalist Movement, you can read more if you'd like. Here's their ideas back in 2012. One, what if we did steps towards global government with this option? We integrate regions. We take sections of the globe that are similar in language, culture, and start to connect them together. So if you take a look on the screen, you see the one in green upper left, there's North America with the exception of Mexico because it's a different language, different culture. But Canada, the United States, region one. Now notice, Mexico, Central America, South America, region six. Look at eight, Africa in the center there, but four, South Africa, and then Australia, far bottom right. Similar language, English, and culture. This is old. The map I'm actually showing you is from the Club of Rome, 1973, in a publication they put out called Mankind at the Turning Point. What if we took the planet, put it into 10 regions, divided by language and culture, and had 10 people over those 10 regions and have global government? That's 1973, Club of Rome's idea in a, in a document called Mankind at the Turning Point. So these ideas have been out there forever. World Federalist Movement goes, hey, what if we did that? 
Another option is this. What if you took nations that have freedom where people can have a say in government and unite those democracies? On the screen is uh, from Freedom House. Freedom House is an international group, uh, kind of like Amnesty International. They look at human rights across the planet and try to keep people uh, abreast of what's going on. The nations in green are free countries. So you can see the United States there, Canada, Mexico. The uh, yellow ones are somewhat free and the red ones not free. In the end, it boils pretty much down to a third, a third, and a third. A third are free, a third are kind of free, a third are not free. If you look at those red countries, they're dominated by communist nations and Muslim countries. There are some globalists who go, you know what? Are you really going to take a dictatorship or a Muslim country and go, hey, this is what we're going to do? They may not be on board of that according to their worldview. So why don't we just start with the democracies, unite them, and pool resources, work on global solutions. And usually the battle cry you hear is this, global problems demand global solutions. Global problems demand global solutions. Next, what if we had a world constitution? The Global Democracy Manifesto was rolled out at the London School of Economics in 2012. So again, what if you have a document that everybody can come under and sign, in to, sign into saying, hey, yeah, we're totally on board. The most popular one in 2012, according to the World Federalist Movement, was this one. Why don't we simply take what's out there already, the United Nations, and reform it, tweak it? All countries are part of the United Nations. Why not just tweak it a little bit? On the left is the flag of the United Nations. Hopefully that's familiar to you. The light blue field with the planet and then the peace, uh, uh, the olive branches of peace around it. On the right is the flag for the UN Parliamentary Association, or UNPA. Notice you've got the blue field, the, the uh, olive branches of peace, and then a bird's eye view looking down at three-quarter seating in the round, like you'd find in our House of Representatives or, or Senate. So it's a government kind of a bird's eye view. These are, this is parliament for the world. So please understand, this is not conspiracy theory. All you've got to do is type in UNPA, and you can see the flag, and you can hear the ideas. Because global problems demand global solutions. Today what you'll hear is people saying the, plant, the countries need to rally around these three problems and find global solutions to these global problems. Number one, terrorism. Number two, economics. Number three, environmental issues. If you listen to people who are of this mindset, of this worldview, global problems demand global solutions. What are the global problems? Well, there's a lot of them, but the main three are these. Economic issues, environmental issues, and terrorism. Why do you have 190-some nations pulling in all their individual directions? We need to be united together. Last point. If people go, this is conspiracy theory, okay. This is just a partial list of 2020 globalist events that are going around on the planet. 
some here in the United States, some uh, all over the planet. If you'd like more, I can give you more information. Uh, I can send you a PDF that has these and many more globalist events. They're summarized as far as when they occur, where they occur, and what their focus is. When you look at what they talk about at these things, there's a common thread. We need government control of economics, socialism. We need to put all of our eggs in the basket together because the planet is warming and we're killing ourselves, so the environment. And once we do that, if we'd have a new world religion, there really could be peace on earth. It's absolutely stunning. Again, it's not conspiracy theory. If you'd like the PDF, I'll send it to you. If you'd like these slides, if you'd like Word documents of this stuff, be more than happy to share it, right? Let's throw it open to questions in our remaining couple of minutes here. Again, if you gotta go, you gotta go. But if you got questions or, or comments or thoughts, go ahead. Go ahead. What, what you'll find in, in some Christian denominations, the idea is Jesus is a revolutionary, and we need to be revolutionaries too, and we need to adopt these socialist policies because that's the right thing to do. And, and you simply go, well, Jesus did talk about economics. He said, render unto Caesar what's Caesar, render unto God's what is God's. The main problem is humanity and our sin and its salvation in Christ. And then the question is, what is the best, best economic system to, to follow. If you want to look at what has raised more people out of poverty than any other economic system on the planet, it's hands down capitalism. So this whole concept of let's make Jesus a, a Marxist revolutionary, you go, hmm, <laughs> we're reading into scripture a lot of stuff that's not there. What else? Go. Brit just backed out of number two. Yes, yes. So the, the Brexit? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So the Brexit and, and Great Britain uh, stepping out of that European Union is a blow to a globalist concept. So the European Union's there, African Union, there's people who are hoping there'll be an Asian Union, maybe someday a South American and a North American Union. Again, moving, some people say it like this, before we all go to under a global government, we gotta work in regions first, and then eventually it'll be global government. So it's fascinating to read that. What else? Questions, comments, thoughts? How do you enforce it? Yeah, yeah. How do you how do you enforce global government? You can't get cash for clunkers, right? And so, um, I put it on the. Uh, it's the last point on the outline there. If you take a look under number four, reform the UN. Most popular of the four UN parliamentary association. Tipping point awaited. So. Uh, 
uh, Carl Tykrib is uh, uh, a gentleman who is one of the people that I read who researches this stuff. He'll go to these as, as much as he can, listen. He said, when I was at this, the World Federalist Movement, they said, we're just awaiting a tipping point. And then people will be scrambling for this, be begging for it, all right? And so he said it was bizarre. There was almost this excitement, anticipation, because what's the tipping point? It would have to be some kind of crisis. What's the economic crisis, the environmental crisis, the terrorism crisis that makes people clamor? Just do something! And there's people who would step in and go, I've got your solution right here. We'll figure out the details later. That's how some people look at how it'll happen. We'll clamor for, for a solution. We'll iron out the details later. And then you've lost sovereignty. I just want to say thank you very much for giving insight to, uh, actually, to some of our cannabis platforms because it kind of shapes Bernie Sanders down to be the socialist, as well as AOC. And it's uh, quite interesting to see the background that you've given how this may affect us in the future. Yeah, it's essential that all of us understand this because again, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I've called you, Germantown, Menominee Falls, Sussex, whatever it is. If those areas prosper, you will prosper. So take Jeremiah 29, seven, you know what it means. He's talking to the Judah and Benjamin tribe members in Babylon. Now apply it, use it in your life. What should I be? I should be informed of what's going on. I should be involved. I should talk to friends. I should let people know. And, and they can search this out themselves. You can't strong anybody into voting one way or another, but at least you're informed and you can make a, an educated decision. What else? Go. The author tells a story about what to look for in the end times, and it's the humanist, the humanist, uh, humanist story he was told. I didn't know humanism until you just addressed it. Is that what he's addressing at that time? Yeah, Hal, Hal Lindsey wrote a book called The Late Great Planet Earth, and, and uh, his view is there's global government that's coming, and Antichrist will come from that. And that's why if you were here when we did Revelation, we talked about this. What I find compelling is this. When we read Daniel 7, Daniel has a dream and he doesn't understand it and God explains what the dream means. And in this dream, he sees 10 horns and then he's told the 10 horns are 10 kings. And three of the kings are removed and one takes their place. This king blasphemes God and wages war against the saints. And it seems to be this image of Antichrist. Now you read Revelation 17. John sees this beast. It has ten horns. God tells John the same thing. The ten horns are ten kings. They will wage war against Christ and against his people. But God's going to come and save the day. All right. When people go, man, what's 666? What's 666? If you read Revelation, you talk about this. I'm not sweating 666. This is what I'm looking for. 10 minus 3 leads to 1. 10 minus 3 leads to 1. I find it absolutely amazing that in 1973, people had the idea, what if we took the planet and divided it into 10 regions and had 10 rulers over those areas? 
Why not 50? Why not 100? Why 10? And then, if you're interested, I can give you more. There are other globalists who have this different idea of dividing the world into 10 areas based on economic similarities, language, culture, whatever. And you, you just go, why 10? Why not 24? Why not 7? And after a while you go, okay, biblical prophecy. God told you Old Testament and spelled it out. God told you New Testament, spelled it out. He wasn't couched in symbolism. He explained the symbolism. There's 10 kings. Now in Daniel, three of those kings go away. It's subdued. And then one takes their place, and that's Antichrist. So when people go, what's 666? I'm going, there's four different explanations for that. That, to me, makes a lot more sense. So what's Hal Lindsey doing in Late Great Planet Earth? He goes, hey, everybody, we got to look at this, that, and the other thing, geopolitical machinations and everything, and what will happen? Antichrist will rise. Now that conversation is a different one because we're unpacking this, and you bring Antichrist into the table, and then people go, okay. But that's a discussion for, for a different time. And, and for people who understand this is God's word, he's already told you what's going to happen. He's already told you what's going to happen. Correct. Correct. And that's, yeah. And that's why I don't agree with everything Hal Lindsey wrote in Late Great Planet Earth. But what's fascinating is, is yeah, you, you see this concept. And again, it's not, it's not fairy tale theater. So you know the UN, if I say United Religions or United Religions Initiative, anybody familiar with that? All right, so, so, so type that in Google sometime. Check that out. United Religions Initiative. What if we got rid of all the religions and came under a global religion? Just like we have all the nations under the United Nations, what if we were all under the United Religions Initiative? Huh. So global government, global religion, in the hope of bringing peace on earth, goodwill towards men. Who could be against that? Hmm. Go. Yeah, exactly. Coexist. Coexist, right? There's no truth. Everybody's got their truth, and there's no truth, so let's just... Wow. Fascinating. What else? Well, there it is. Now, before you sleep tight, <laughs> remember, we got Matthew 24 next week. We're going to take God's word, listen to Jesus talk about end times, what are signs, what's going on, and then we'll wrap it up with eschatology. All right, let's pray. Lord, thank you for this time. Thank you for a chance to gather around your word to understand the times in which we live and different worldviews that are making the world go around. Lord, I pray that we'd never be afraid because we know you're always with us. You're never going to leave us or forsake us. You promised to be with us to the end of the age. Lord, we've got work to do with people in the kingdom of the left and right hand. Help us to be wise and make the most of every opportunity. Thank you, Jesus. We pray all this in your name.